We just sang about ascending, going up a mountain. And in a few minutes, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. Blessed are these and those and why. And Jesus went up to a mountain to teach at, on the Mount of Beatitudes, we call it today. Beatitudes is from the Latin, meaning blessed, joyful, whatever. I think it's going to be an interesting study. You know, uh, Pastor Chad began last week a new year, a new uh, Gregorian calendar year to kind of cast vision and to remind us of the, the mission that we're on. And he reminded us that King of Kings is called to be a compelling, Messiah-centered, spirit-empowered, disciple-making community, revealing the true face of Yeshua to Israel and the nations. And it's great to look forward to the future, and he did that in such a wonderful way. But it's also good to look at the past. You know, most of the feasts were given to us by the Lord in order to look back and to see the wonderful things that God has done and to remember that so that we'll have faith to go forward. And tonight we're going to do a little bit of reminiscing about the past. It was 38 and a half years ago that my wife Anne and I moved to Israel from Toronto, Canada. We were happy there. I was an assistant pastor in a downtown congregation there. My wife was a, a music director at a, a, a national television uh, broadcast there, and we were having a wonderful time. We had two little kids, very content. We could imagine being in Toronto the rest of our lives. But one Sunday morning on vacation, we went to a congregation north of Toronto in a place called Newmarket, and we didn't tell the pastor that we were coming. We were just sitting in the crowd with several hundred people, and he saw us in the crowd, and he said to his wife, invite Wayne and Ann over for dinner. Now, we weren't close friends, and they were a little bit older than us, but um, they invited us for dinner. And over dinner, Jim Cantillon shared with us that he had just returned to Israel, and from Israel, and that while he was in Israel, he had a sense that God was calling him and his family to move to Israel. He said, I'm about to resign from the church here. Uh, they don't know that yet, but I'm giving you inside information that we're about to move to Israel. And we really sense that the Lord has called us uh, to establish a ministry on the kibbutzim to bring young people from Canada to do that. And uh, while we were sharing this vision we had with some government officials here in Israel, they said, well, you know, there are a lot of people like you in Jerusalem. They'd probably love to have a congregation. And uh, they actually came up with an idea of starting a congregation in Jerusalem. Well, he shared this story with us, and we thought, this is crazy. This, this is not possible. And, uh, and then suddenly, without him even praying first, he said... Over dinner table, he said, when it's time to start the congregation in Jerusalem, would you and Anne come and help us plant this congregation? Wow. So this was 40 years ago. We moved here in time to start the congregation with them. And we began as a little Bible study in downtown Jerusalem, not too far from here. We had some Hebrew University students that were part of the group and our two families, and we counted a few cats and dogs, and I think we had 17 people that first gathering. And uh, the Lord has been good to us ever since. And uh, as we began to 
established the congregation. We met, first of all, in that little apartment. Then we moved to the YMCA, to a small lecture hall. Then we moved to the, um, the, the uh, concert hall, where the Jerusalem Symphony used to do their live uh, broadcasts. And for 21 years, we rented the YMCA every Sunday. It was in 21 years later, which was uh, 2004, the Lord enabled us to move into this facility, to buy it, to renovate it, and it was a great miracle that happened. Now, the Lord told us a number of years ago what our focus should be here in the land. It was threefold. Number one was to plant congregations. Number two, to train people for ministry. And number three, be a catalyst for unity. And so we began this congregation, but our vision was to plant other congregations as well. And there are two other congregations right within about 300 meters of this spot right here that were planted by King of Kings. One is called Sukkot David. The other one is the Hebrew-speaking congregation with the name Melech Nachim, headed up by Oded Shoshani and doing a wonderful job. And then we helped plant a congregation in Tel Aviv. And under Pastor Chad's leadership, we've planted a couple more congregations. Uh, we've got Nachalat Yeshua Tenu. We have a congregation in Herzliya. And uh, God has continued to help us to plant congregations. And then it was, we felt it was important that if you're going to plant congregations, you have to have leaders. And so we began to train one-on-one -on -one various leaders in the land, and then eventually started a Bible college called King of Kings College in 1990. We led that college for the first five years, and then we turned over the college to the local body, established a local board, changed the name to Israel College of the Bible, and Israel College of the Bible continues to do amazing things. And now under their One for Israel ministry have evangelistic thrusts on the internet that are quite amazing. And we're just so thankful for what God has done. And we've been helping train in other areas as well, not just for pastoral leadership, but helping to start Yuval, this uh, great ministry that's training people in the area of music and worship and the fine arts. And uh, we have something called IM, the Israel Academy of Ministry, and several other outreaches to help train people for ministry. I say all of that because sometimes we can forget the past and we realize that what we're doing depends so much on those who have gone before and to, to look back and say, you know, we've stood on their shoulders. And I want to honor Jim and Kathy Cantillon who invited us to come to this land to join them. And for the first five years, we co-pastored this congregation. And you're going to see Jim on the screen in a few moments. I was planning to preach next week on the Beatitudes, and then Pastor Chad let me know kind of last minute, it wasn't his fault, but he couldn't preach tonight. He said, Wayne, would you preach? And I thought, man, I don't have time to prepare anything. I, I know I've preached on this subject before, and I actually scanned the internet to see if my message was out there somewhere to remind me what I said back then. And you know what I discovered? I discovered a television program that Jim, Jim Cantillon and I did a few years ago on the subject of the Beatitudes. And many of you have never met Jim, heard him preach, or know much about him, but he's a great man of God, and we are close friends. And he has a television ministry in Canada and also has been part of a production of a, a series called Our Daily Bread. And that's what you're going to see on the screen in a moment. You're going to learn about the Beatitudes, and you're going to get to meet Jim Cantillon, who invited us to this land and was a key player in getting King of Kings started. So
So I want you to open your Bibles. I'm going to read the passage that we're studying, and it's Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. How many of you want to be blessed? Well, we get the keys to blessing right here. And seeing the multitudes, Yeshua went up into the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are they that have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall reproach you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. I welcome those who are online as well. You're going to be joining us, and uh, you're going to see this on YouTube live, but also uh, following this. And we got permission to use this video footage, so enjoy. God bless you. Today on Day of Discovery, In His Footsteps with Jim Cantillon. The fact of the matter is, friends, that if in the very best circumstances, we are poor in spirit because we haven't even come close to achieving the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all need help. Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. And frankly, I'm one of those sick ones, and I think probably so are you. Welcome, friends, to In His Footsteps with Dave Discovery. I'm Jim Candelan. Can you believe it? I'm on the top of the Mount of Beatitudes and the wind is nearly blowing me off the hill. There are white caps down in the Sea of Galilee below me. This is typical here. I would say over the years, eight times out of 10 when I'm on the Mount of Beatitudes, the wind's blowing like this. Why am I here? Because today and next time, we're gonna be looking at the Beatitudes, just the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But this mountain is called the mountain of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. And we're going to look at all 10 of them. Also, Wayne Hilsden is coming my way by way of interview. He's very well versed in all of this topography, the history, and just the ambiance of the Mount of Beatitudes. He comes with over 30 years of experience here in Israel. I'm sitting in a beautiful garden in the Mount Zion Hotel. Mount of uh, Mount Zion's just over my shoulder. Um, the Hinnom Valley is between me and there. Uh, what a setting. And Wayne Hilsden is my guest. We've been talking about a number of things over several programs. Today we're going to take part one of a part two conversation on the Beatitudes and maybe beyond, the Sermon on the Mount. And Wayne, before we, you know, you long-term pastor of King of Kings, now heading up uh, Fellowship of International uh, Israel-related ministries. Uh, you've been living here in Jerusalem for now well over 30 years. 34 years. 34 years. And we're here only because you invited us and <laughs> said we would have fun. And was I was I a false prophet? Right. Okay, I'm good. still having fun. You're still having fun. Well, that's the key. Um, what I'd like to know is why you don't look any older, and I look <laughs> so much older. Um, I remember one time 
you know, I used to, as you recall, I used to go up to Lebanon uh, every week and broadcast in the uh, in the uh, Bekaa Valley uh, Christian radio station. And then I had these kibbutz teams that mm -hmm. were various kibbutz team of young uh, North American adults who came over to live and work as volunteers. And one time you came with me to, I think it was Kafar Giladi, which is almost on the Lebanese border. And we were driving back. It was about, oh, maybe five in the afternoon. It was springtime. And we came over, we came down from the upper of Galilee, just past Rosh Pina, down towards the lower Galilee. And the Mount of Beatitudes was there over to our left. And the, the sun was setting at such an angle. Do you remember this? The grass was so green, it looked ethereal. It was absolutely, absolutely. one of the most beautiful sights I think I've ever seen. I remember you commenting on it. Mm -hmm. And this was the site or the place where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know what time of year it was. But one of the most uh, inspirational sites anywhere in Israel, certainly for me, and time and time again when I would go up to Lebanon on my own, on my way back I would stop there just for a few minutes because I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Um, it happens in March and April. Yeah. It's like fluorescent green. Yeah. And, and you know, imagining, you know, people and feeding the 5,000, all of them sitting down, I, I kind of still have that picture in my mind in a, in a much you know, longer, green grass, comfortable setting, but of course, you know, 10 months of the year, yeah. it's dry and rocky and, and brown. uncomfortable. Oh, and thorny. Yeah. A sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. The Beatitudes, he starts out with, 10 of them. First one, blessed are the poor in spirit. What are your thoughts? Well, number of things. I always go back to the Old Testament and look for hints of how that relates to the, the, the whole story, the meta, uh, the meta narrative of the Bible. And you see how mountains were significant in the Old Testament. So you have Moses going up in the mountain, he receives uh, the instructions of the Lord, the Torah. And here we've got Jesus going up on a mountain and actually speaking about the Torah yeah. of Moses and giving us an interpretation that deals mostly with the heart. So, you know, he talks about adultery. It's not just, you know, having sex with somebody else's wife, but, you know, lusting in your yeah. heart, right? Yeah. That deep down issues do not murder. Well, it's really about a heart issue, you know, even becoming angry at somebody. Yeah. That's a murderous yeah. attitude you've got. You got to deal with the deepest issues. So that speaks to me that Jesus uh, is the law giver and he is the one who also uh, helps us get to the root of what's, what are the instructions of God about. It's not just doing stuff for God, uh, it's having the right heart in doing those things. I think one of the key comments he makes in the Sermon on the Mount is accept your righteousness exceeds the righteous scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about external righteousness right. and the thing you're talking about right now is you know, what's going on inside. Uh, let's 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 walk through the the beatitudes. I, I I've done so just you know myself in in this half hour in my teaching. But you know one of the one of the things I love about the Jewish approach to uh, learning is you always do two together, right? Right. And sometimes it's iron sharpening iron. You're disagreeing. Right. I walked by some of the the yeshivas here in Jerusalem when I lived here, and it sounded like there was a fight going on in there. And these guys are just going at it, right? Sometimes it is a fight. Sometimes it is a fight. <laughs> but but you know, normal conversation yeah. anywhere in Jerusalem, yeah. uh, it's loud. It's yeah. lots of 
hand motions. <laughs> you, you think there's, there's anger sometimes. That yeah. took a lot of getting used to when we first moved here back in 1981. So let's start. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that say to you? Uh, well, the word blessed could be happy. Mm -hmm. That strikes me that poor people happy. Yeah. You know, you, you do so much work in Africa yeah. among the poor, and, and don't you find people are happy? Lots of happy. Oh, lots of joy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, they just love the Lord. Yeah. And, you know, that's what it is. So that strikes me. And then blessed are the poor in spirit. You could have said just blessed are the poor yeah. and stop there, but right. in spirit. So anybody could be poor in spirit. A rich person could be poor in spirit. I, I think what it refers to really is understanding that without God, you are a sinner. Without God, you're lost. Without God, uh, you can't save yourself. I mean, without God, you're going to die one day and you're going to, you know, you're going to have no more life. So you're poor in every way unless God comes into your life. You know, you, we, every breath that we take is something God gives us. Uh, you know, my heart beats because God sustains my life for this season on the planet. And my attitude ought to be, I think Jesus is saying this, is recognize that you are totally dependent on me. You know, you, the parable uh, or the reference to the vine and the branches. Mm. You know, it's all about the branches being dependent on the life that the vine gives. Jesus is the vine, we are his branches. Unless you abide in me. It's all about abiding. It's all about depending yeah. on his life lived through us. And, and the problem with most of us who are s sinful in our attitude is, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman. I, you know, if I just work hard enough, get, get enough education, I can accomplish anything. And I think, you know, that's in Western culture, that's what's, what we're taught really, is that we have the potential to be great. Well, you know what? We do have that potential, but only through God, only through his life. There are commentators on the Sermon on the Mount who say mm -hmm. that this one, blessed are the poor in spirit, is foundational to everything else. It's sort of like the entry level. Uh, you have to start with your own poverty uh, of spirit. Um, and I, I think they're onto something there. Would you agree with what they're saying? I would, absolutely. Yeah. Now the next one, blessed are those who mourn. Uh, um, what do you suppose they're mourning about? I kind of think those two Beatitudes fit together. And there are many scholars, commentators who say that. Mm. So if we stick with this theme of dependence on God, that's what being poor in spirit is, then, and, and that sinners, unless you have a savior, you're lost. We'd say the first thing about mourning is it's, it speaks of repentance. It speaks of mourning for your sin, regret for things you've done to hurt other people, to hurt God. Uh, and so Jesus is saying, happy are those who repent. Happy are those who are ge genuinely mournful for the evil that they have done or the harm that they have mm -hmm. caused. And it says that they will be comforted and the comfort comes in, Jesus saves. <laughs> Jesus, uh, you know, it says, it, in the New Testament that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you are free of your guilt from your sin, 
You're the happiest man or woman on earth. The weight of guilt comes off your shoulders. You're no longer haunted by those sins. You've moved beyond that. And I think there's a mourning for sin. Uh, I certainly think it goes beyond that to, you know, losing something, losing a, your wife, your, your husband, losing your parents, your mourning for their death. And there's a healthy kind of mourning. Yeah. You know, Jesus said, don't, don't mourn. You know, he, he just says, uh, I'm there for you when you mourn. I'm there to stand with you. You know, the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the, and the uh, yeah. conversation in the upper room, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, he introduces right. the Holy Spirit as the comforter, yeah. which I think is terrific. And Jesus is the one who sends the comforter, yeah. sends himself in the Spirit, you know, because he's called the, uh, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Jesus in places. Yeah. It is his Spirit. He's the, he's, he sent the Spirit. So Jesus comes alongside the mourner and comforts, you know, the paraclete, you know, in the, in the Greek, it's one called alongside. Right. You know, and, and when you're helping somebody who's mourning, it's not so much, you know, saying the right thing to that person, but actually just being there. Yeah. And that's something in Jewish culture. You know, when somebody dies, uh, there's a 30-day period of mourning, and people just come to be with the grieving person. That's the comfort of just coming alongside, you know? Um, I've experienced that same phenomenon in Africa mm -hmm. uh, when I've been invited to uh, a few funerals of those who've died uh, because of HIV and AIDS. I, and I go to the humble dwelling, however, you know, it could be a mud hut with a grass roof, and the friends and relatives would be gathered around. Nobody's saying anything. Mm. They're just sitting there. Uh, but there's huge comfort in that. The next beatitude, uh, Wayne, is uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, uh, the, the first two, we're, be, we're being comforted and we're also inheriting the kingdom of heaven. We, that, that's a whole discussion in itself. What does meek mean to you? And how does that relate to inheriting the earth, do you think? I think to be meek, it's related to humility, is just being honest about who you are. Yeah. You know, not making yourself to be something you aren't. And, you know, and God has wired us and created us in certain ways. And one of the great discoveries is you know, discovering who you are, how God made you, and, and being comfortable with yourself. Uh, and I think that God is, is, wants us to honor what he's done in our lives and to just be who we are and not pretend to be somebody else. I think that's somebody who's blessed, happy, joyful, uh, because they're no longer living in some, they're not wearing Saul's armor. <laughs> you know, David's, <laughs> that's in, a good one, he's yeah. comfortable in his own armor. Yeah, uh, or comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Right. yeah. Now that's a fascinating point. Wearing your own, not wearing Saul's armor. Yeah. Um, most of you know that story, I think, how young David, the shepherd boy, went to help his brothers and he decided he's going to fight this massive giant. And Saul says, you want to go out there, you better put on my armor. And it nearly, nearly knocked the kid into the ground. He goes out there just as he was as a shepherd with his sling and kills this giant. Have there been moments in your life when you were trying to wear Saul's armor? Well, in my early days of full-time ministry, some of the earliest days were uh, working with you, co-pastoring King of Kings in its beginnings. Uh, in some ways, I was wearing Saul's armor, I think. You know, you being a more visionary person, yeah. um, and I was one to kind of help that vision come to pass. 
I was doing a lot of administrative stuff. Yeah. And... Which I, you were good at, by the way, but you didn't really like it. It wasn't really who I was, yeah. but I didn't know that because I hadn't had enough experience yet. Right. But when you felt the Lord calling you back to Canada, you handed me the baton, suddenly I got this vision thing happening yeah. with me, you know, yeah. and I was thinking about how are we going to expand the work and have more impact and and that and I started loving that part and from that day onward I've been living in that yeah, you, skin in in David's armor not Saul's that's armor. That's right you've been a visionary now for well over 20 years and uh, um, the Christian church around the world is taking note. Uh, do you think there's any relationship between this kind of attitude and inher inheriting the earth? Is Jesus playing on words here, or is he just throwing something? What do you think he means? Well, I think he turns the uh, the kingdoms of this world upside down. So, you know, we think of a hierarchy, a pyramid. Right. You know, the top dog at the top of the pyramid, when Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down pyramid where leaders are those who are under people, lifting them up mm. and, and influencing people from underneath rather than from above. And it's not about commanding people necessarily to do stuff, but showing them the way and giving them the, the resources to fulfill God's plan in their lives. Oh, that's a terrific point. And so I've tried to live that way where, yeah. you know, I'm always looking at people and saying, how can I help them reach their destiny, their calling, so that they can live in their David's armor rather than being what the world wants them to be, to, to have Saul's armor in the flesh, yeah. you know, yeah. to accomplish things. And the next one says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hmm. Hunger, thirst. I mean, we're, we're talking about intense desire or need here, not for self-gratification, mm -hmm. but for righteousness. Yeah. Is that a natural human condition, or is that something that has some kind of um, heavenly genesis? Right. Well, I think when we are in the kingdom and, and Jesus is our King Messiah, uh, we want to please him. And, and really, righteousness is pleasing the Lord, right. doing his will, uh, his bidding. Uh, and when you love Jesus and you're so thankful for what he's done in your life, you do it naturally. You, you want to do what is right in his eyes because you want to please his heart. I mean, that's my daily prayer, really. You know, how, how can I please you today, Lord? That's, uh, you know, that doesn't naturally come, doesn't come naturally. No. No. But it seems to me that to have that heart for the Lord really means to love him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To love him, and then Jesus will say in another place, to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I've analyzed that over the years, essentially with all your intellect, emotion, and will. Yeah. Your thinking, your feeling, and your doing. Right. By the way, you know, getting back to the kingdom theme, which we see throughout yeah. these Beatitudes, and throughout his parables, yeah. you know, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Right. Right? So that's the bottom line to living for God, is, is his rule, his reign. He's the king. He's king over my life and then doing what is right, which will please the king. And pleasing the king, pleasing God, not necessarily pleasing man. Yeah. Uh, the Bible is kind of hard on what it calls man-pleasing. And I think it's pretty tough to 
uh, avoid being a man pleaser in the sense that there are pressures that culture and subculture bring to those of us who, you know, are members of a group, a congregation of believers, whatever. Uh, there is a certain man-pleasing stress that is not necessarily God-pleasing. Yes. Yeah, that's that's another topic. Let's look at the next one here. Blessed, oh, I love this one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Is it not our tendency to want to judge people hmm. and not be merciful? Yeah. What I have to say is if we only uh, knew how easy it is to fall, to miss the mark, to sin, we'd be more merciful to others who fall and sin. Um, I think we're, if we're all honest with each other, we're really meek, <laughs> just honest about who we are. Without God, uh, we we fall. And how do, how, does, how do we fall? Pride comes before a fall. Mm. Against the opposite of meekness, we've talked about meekness. Yes. But um, that's my perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, Pride, uh, C.S. Lewis in um, Miracle Christianity, he's got a whole chapter on it. He calls it the great sin. Mm. Pride. It's the pride of Lucifer. The pride of Lucifer, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at one point he says, God's quite happy to have you, you know, moral and upright and living a sinless life as long as, I should say, he said, Satan is quite happy to have you doing all that as long as he at the same time can, can be setting up in you the dictatorship of pride. Mm. Uh, powerful. Okay. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity of heart. Now, he's, as you said a few shows ago, uh, Jesus is really focusing in here on motivation of the heart, the inner, the inner man, uh, not necessarily focusing on the outward activity, but what, what motivates it, what's going on inside. I guess the question I would have asked Jesus if I'd been there, and I'm going to ask you in this place, is it possible to be pure in heart? What does this mean? Not in ourselves, absolutely no. not. Yeah. You know, I think this, this is one of the great miracles. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we've talked about miracles. Yeah. The miracle of salvation, but also the miracle of, of, of a changed life, becoming a new creation, mm. having the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. That's, that's a work of God. It's a work of grace. Uh, we can't be pure in heart by ourselves. The heart is deceitful above all things, right? right. The Bible tells desperately us. Desperately wicked. De desperately wicked. Yeah. So to get a heart that's pure takes a, one of the most radical miracles of all. And it's a daily miracle, by the way, because, you know, we can be in a right place in our hearts one day, but something happens, circumstances of life, and, and something pops out of our heart that we didn't know was there. Some I, unclean... Some guy thing. cuts you off in traffic, and look what never happened. happened to me. Oh, it's never happened to you? <laughs> Here in Israel? Come on. <laughs> I, I've been very disappointed in myself at times when I'm, I'm, I'm surprised and shocked by something like that, mm -hmm. and my reaction is so uh, aggressive. Uh, uh, two more to go. Blessed are the peacemakers. Sons of God, peacemakers. Mm -hmm. Boy, this is a part of the world where we could use some peacemakers, huh? Right. Yeah, what, what, it goes beyond just being at peace with people. Peacemakers. Mm. I mean, this is going out of your way to make peace. Um, Paul talks about us having the ministry of reconciliation. First of all, that's, you know, bringing reconciliation between God and man, mm -hmm. you know, building that bridge. Yeah. But it's also, you know, man to man, man to mankind. Uh, and, you know, that's peace is going to be the thing that 
identifies the kingdom of heaven when we're with the Lord face to face. You know, the lion will lie down with yeah, the, the lamb. And uh, so why not bring heaven down to earth? You know, as the Lord's prayer implies, right? Yeah, the shalom on earth of God, as it right? is in heaven, the shalom of the God. The shalom of God. I love the word shalom, but yeah, shalom is a great word. Peace. It's more than the absence of conflict. It's actually wholeness. You know Hebrew enough to know that you know uh, it's related to the word whole or perfect. Shalem. Yeah. Shalom then is wholeness. Yeah. So there's not division. It's it's together. It's whole. It's all of one piece. Yeah. It's unfair for me to throw the last one at you because our time is gone. You appreciate TV. You know all about this. Uh, just let me say this, friends. Uh, it, it's always a pleasure for me to sit down with Wayne and Ann Hilson. They are really dear. Uh, I, I call them family. They really like family to me. I feel like Wayne's my little brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I wanted him to give his perspective on the Beatitudes because there's far more to be said than what I said earlier in the show. And believe it or not, there's far more to be said than what Wayne and I have talked about. You need to spend time yourself in the scripture. Get yourself a good commentary, a good Bible dictionary, and study the Sermon on the Mount. Take a month and go through the Beatitudes. Just go through it slowly. It will absolutely inspire you. Take a little break. Back with the close of the show right after this. And now we return to In His Footsteps with Jim Cantillon on Day of Discovery. You know, that last beatitude, verse 10 of chapter 5 of Matthew, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, over the course of my life, and I've been a believer most of my life and have been in the ministry for, I hate to admit it, almost 50 years, um, this business of being persecuted for righteousness sake essentially academic. I can't say that I've ever experienced persecution for righteousness sake. I've been in a few dicey situations. Back when I was pastoring in Jerusalem, I used to broadcast in southern Lebanon, and there were forces up there who were trying to uh, destroy us, and there were a few dicey moments. But I can't say that I've ever been fearful about attending the house of God or about declaring my faith, about buying a Bible or a Christian book. However, here in the 21st century, there are tens of thousands of Christian believers who are being persecuted for righteousness sake. The cops in Egypt are a case in point. Christians in Syria, Christians in Iraq, Christians in Afghanistan, Christians in um, Indonesia, Christians in Iran, Christians friends around the world in China being persecuted for righteousness sake. We need to think twice before we take this casually. We need to remember these dear brothers and sisters in prayer. We have no idea what it's like to have our churches burned, our houses blown up, our sons uh, killed because of our faith in Jesus. We have no idea of the price that many believers are paying for their faith. Well, Jesus says, you know, when that happens, the kingdom of heaven is yours, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So the best we can do for some of these people who are on the front line of persecution is pray for them and pray for them big time. Thanks for watching, friends. I'll be back again next time. Until then, Jim Candelon. Bye for now.
Well, have you ever watched yourself back on video? Said, you yeah, that guy is really boring. But I hope you got something out of that. And uh, it's great to see Jim and to, uh, to really honor him and Kathy. And they have really blessed the world and blessed King of Kings. Would you stand with me? He asked us to pray for the persecuted. I want us to do that. We don't get the sense of the reality of that here in Jerusalem, not yet. And if you're from the West, we don't see much of it, but it may come. But let's pray and ask the Lord to touch those who are facing imprisonment, facing terrorism, facing loss of jobs and income, all kinds of things that happen to them. Lord, we lift up those around the world, even millions of people. Probably the worst persecution in history, at least in numbers right now. Lord, I pray that you, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come and come alongside them right now. Lord, may they have confidence to keep on keeping on. We thank you, Lord, that somehow when we are in trouble and we turn to you, you give us peace that passes all understanding. And we can even experience the joy of the Lord in the midst of great sorrow. So, Lord, I pray that you would lift their spirits today. We thank you for their great example, for their testimony, for the, for the way they, they are heroes of the faith that we can look to and recognize that no matter what happens, you're a good God and that you can turn all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Prepare us, Lord, for the days to come. For your word tells us the difficult days are coming and we're already entering them. We're gonna need that strength. We're gonna need your presence. We're gonna need to continue to be bold to proclaim the good news, even against all odds. We pray in Yeshua's name, amen.